0: I didn't want people to think that I was. this was a book about social media influence. I wanted to think this is about relationships. And relationships require a commitment, it requires a long-term focus, and it requires trust. Trust is really kind of the pivotal uh, core of my book. So you can't have impactful and, and amazing influence without those things involved, without the ability, the building blocks of what I call a trusted partnership. So, if you're going to...
1: If you are like me, I know that free enterprise is the greatest opportunity in the world, but you also see there are huge issues starting to arise, like why is mentorship decreasing in popularity? Why do entrepreneurs like us who love to succeed see people fail at the top and never leave true significance? And how do people like us make a lasting impact on the world, and is it possible for enough entrepreneurial leaders together to make a real difference? These are the blaring questions, and this podcast is the answer. Journey with me, your host, Christian. Together, we will challenge the status quo and conquer our legacies. Thank you so much for tuning in to Journey with Christian D. Evans podcast. I'm your host, Christian D. Evans. And guys, we have someone extraordinary on today. And the reason why I want to have him on is because he just published this incredible book. And we're going to be diving into a lot of this. Uh, But before we dive into it, I want to share with you kind of a little bit of his background. So he's the CEO of Success Masters, author and serial entrepreneur of 20 plus years, businesses. Okay. Industries include business networking, online media, e-commerce, intellectual property, a dynamic speaker. He has been recognized as a top presenter, motivating tens of thousands of entrepreneurs, professionals, and salespeople. Prior to his entrepreneurial run, he has spent 25 years as an executive in corporate high-tech and commercial publishing. He is known for his ability to turn around businesses and create dramatic Revenue, and he's also a incredible, his book has been featured and has been recommended by the one and only Kevin Harrington. Please welcome Gary Laney. How you doing, my man? Hey, Christian. I'm great. Thanks for having me. I really appreciate being here today well hey i'm really excited as well and obviously you have a a, a massive massive resume, um, resume of, of what you've been able to do in the, in the industry um however though let's kind of dive right into it okay first of all the power of strategic influence that's your book okay you have just published it and it's obviously been pe- featured quite a different areas uh different places a lot of people are recommending it um first of all where did you get the ideas to to build this 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 foundation of the book
0: well appreciate that question um, I've been on a lot of podcasts. This is the first time somebody's ever actually, actually asked me that type of a question before. So uh, my background, I spent, uh, as you mentioned, I spent 20, I have, kind of have three careers really quickly. I'll just give you a summary. So I've, I grew up in a family retail business. My dad owned a, a chain of retail stores. And so I always say I've got my first MBA uh, from my father uh, by the time I was uh, 20, you know. And so uh, that, was, that was a great experience. I spent the next 25 years in commercial publishing and high tech. And then, uh, and then I've spent the last uh, 16, 17 years in entrepreneur kind of ship um, uh, with 20 different businesses I've been in as far as startups. So for 35 years, I've been teaching uh, influence, influence-based concepts. How do you build relationships? How do you take uh, what you have, what you know, and the people that surround you and make it make it into something in your life? And it doesn't have to be any specific career, but you can take the components of that and really make something with it. So I can't I'd probably have to go backward to the days of Stephen Covey. Uh, you probably heard of Stephen Covey, who wrote, wrote the book, Seven Habits of Highly Effective People. Uh, I was fortunate to know Stephen back in the um, late 70s and early 80s. And he was an advisor to a company I was working for. He was not uh, famous back then. Uh, he, when he got way he became famous as uh, Oprah invited him on his, her, her show. And she promoted him as well as a Wall Street Journal uh, column that he got involved with and, uh, and then just, you know, became famous worldwide. His concepts about um, how to uh, uh, approach situations with people and how to make it a win-win situation, uh, how to see the end result and, and, and work toward it as a group, something I've taught for, for 35 years. So, so when I started to write this book, I really didn't know where I was going to go with it. I've been teaching the concepts. I know they've been validated for so long. But uh, it was amazing to me to, to meet the people that I interviewed for the book. So a little bit of explanation. I wrote this book, 12 chapters, uh, 10 uh, concepts that, that I call critical success factors. But after each chapter, I interviewed a highly successful global CEO uh, that would kind of match the content or the, the intent of what that chapter was all about. And so my what was amazing to me is how you can start with people that have influence and when i talk about influence i talk about positive influence something that's going to take what you know who you know and and what's your experience you have and use it for a positive gain for all involved it's not for selfish reasons it has to be you'll see the running theme throughout my book is giving back it's about how to help other people how to solve problems if you do that uh, it comes back to you in, in kind very reciprocally so that's really what it's about i think that's what you're asking me but i i was uh you know uh, lucky enough to be able to have some time during COVID when my business was shut down and I started to write a book and it just kind of magically um, developed as I as I wrote it uh, with some great people to help me do it and with the great uh, people that I interviewed
1: for it well and what's interesting is I think one guy said <clears throat> here JJ he says start your own journey become a person of great influence greater influence you won't regret it when we're talking about influence, obviously we have micro influencers, macro influencers, and the power of it. I think my question isn't why is it so powerful? It is a matter of how to be intentional nowadays to Thank be you. uh the, the right influence.
0: Well, you hit the you hit the word on the on the dot, and that is uh, intentional. So we we all talk about you know how important it is to become authentic and genuine in everything you do. <clears throat> intentional means that you have a purpose and you're doing it for the right reasons, because you have a purpose for doing and, and developing a relationship. It's not transactional. It's not a one-time uh, event. It's something you want to be long-term that's going to be, benefit many people. To me, influence, the, the concept and the topic is a little different than what uh, most people think of, uh, because they'll think of, you know, like you said, the micro to macro you know, uh, type of uh, influencers. I, I put the word strategic in front of influence for the following reason. I didn't want people to think that I was, this was a book about social media influence. I wanted to think this is about relationships. And relationships require a commitment. It requires a long-term focus. And it requires trust. Trust is really kind of the pivotal uh, core of my book. So you can't have impactful and, and amazing influence without those things involved, without the ability, the building blocks of what I call a trusted partnership. So, if you're going to have influence, it has to be intentional. You hit it. Uh, number two, it has to be strong, uh, strongly uh, uh, long-term and and with a strategic purpose where everybody involved gets benefit from it. So, I'm really looking for <clears throat> a relationship. Let's say that I wanted to promote my business and uh, I didn't, you know, there's ways to do that. You can spend a lot of money on marketing dollars. You can do email campaigns. You can do advertising campaigns. You know media, uh, or you can go through influencers, which is a big deal these days. You go to somebody that's famous, like The Rock. You pay them a bunch of money. They'll do a spiel for you. Uh, they'll put a good word in for you. But you may not ever have met that person. In fact, you probably have not. It was probably arranged by an agency. It was probably done behind the scenes. You never had a connection. Uh, for me, strategic means you have to be connected to that person. They have to know what you're talking about. They have to have some industry perspective, and it means that they're going to get involved for the right reasons. Uh, I have a good friend that I interviewed uh, for the book. His name is Gary Kennedy. He was the very first president of U- uh, USA Oracle, Oracle's big software company, one of the largest companies in the world. And uh, <clears throat> Gary's, uh, we had a great, great conversation, but the one thing that really came out of the, our conversation in the interview was that he felt like when he had the opportunity to do something, to get involved in on a board as a, a CEO of a company or on a charitable board, he would always step back and say, "Well, before I do this, can I make a difference? If I don't, if I don't have the ability to make a difference for this company and make an impact, I don't care about the money. I don't care about the opportunity. That's my first motive, and that was a great lesson to me. So I think that's you know nuts and bolts of influences." is how we approach the situation, the type of people who are involved. Are they strategic or not? Are you strategic to them? Is it, is it win-win? And uh, is it going to be something that's going to last? Beyond the transactional piece of what we today think of as, as far as an influencer and what they do for, for companies.
1: Yeah, one of the biggest stories that I've heard was I was reading a John Maxwell book, and he was talking about how he was actually a pastor at a, uh, at a, a you know, A church somewhere, and he noticed that he was, even though he was a pastor, he was not influential with the board members. And in fact, he had to actually work with someone that was more influential. And so what was interesting is that what he would do is he would be very intentional with building a relationship with that person. And then he had the idea, but he would send it to that person because he had the influence to actually make movement. And I love that strategy because that really taught me, sometimes you don't always have to be the influencer, right? It is more being influential, but it's really just networking and being strategic. With you know who that would be, finding that person and being humble and saying, "Hey, that's okay, as long as the organization, the business, the structure, whatever is moving forward." So my question is, you've developed ten factors here, and what I love about these books is because this is over many, many years of trials, fails, you know, all this yes. right knowledge that you have, like wisdom. And so I'm curious, okay, what were the top two, if you could, the top wow. two that resonated the best with you, and how did you come to find those factors and, and put these in in the book?
0: Well, so good question. (laughs) Uh, So here, my answer. I have to start off by saying that um, it's really hard to select just two or three or a number of them because the book is progressive. It starts at the beginning with somebody that has zero influence and helps them develop to the point where they can access influence. Number one, listen, someone's not going to give access to their influence unless they trust you, unless they think there's there's value in it for them. Then you get to the point where you actually you are developing influence and then you expand your influence. And then ultimately, I think you have to give your influence a way to help other people because you people did that for you along the way. So that's my first question, my first answer. It's really, really difficult to pull it apart because if you do, I think, the, I think it crumbles. Uh, but let me just, if I had to choose uh, two and maybe I can choose three, if you maybe let me squeeze one more in. Uh, the first one is perspective. It's about gaining a perspective before you start a journey of any kind. I don't care if the journey is to start school, to start a job, to create a company, to get involved in a relationship with someone. You have to count the costs up front by saying, where am I going? I'm going to have a survival instinct or or mindset, meaning if something comes along the way, my commitment comes first. I'm not going to just get pushed off base because something happened, because we all have that. Wrenches get thrown in the works. We have opportunities that come up, and they don't always go as planned. So if you start with a perspective of, I am not going to get put off the path just because something gets in the way and you should expect the unexpected. That's my motto. So that's number one is, is understanding that there, that you have to have this vision about where you're going and don't worry so much about what's going to happen along the way. Just focus on how to, that you're going to get there ultimately, that things can happen. You can pivot, you can, you can, you can be agile, you can be adaptable. Uh, number two is... Um, really the, the third chapter of my book, which is the first success factor. I start with a perspective, I call them perspective points. Then I jump into 10 success factors. So the first, um, so I might just fulfill what you asked me to do in the first place. I give a perspective point, which is really not a success factor in the first place. First one I would just talk about is is accepting personal responsibility. So what is personal responsibility and how do you accept it? Well, it's it's it goes like this. Um, and, I, and you talk about that survival instinct because it kind of really fits in here really well. That is that uh, I am willing as a person to accept all the conditions that happen to me in my life without blaming other people. I mean, something good happens. I'm glad. I'm happy. I accept it. Something bad happens. I don't become victimized and I don't blame somebody for that. I take 100% responsibility for what happens to me in my life for all occurrences and, and, uh, and the buck stops here, if you will. So I think that's very important as you get into, into life because you can get pushed off, off base so easily and people can offend you. You can get involved with the wrong kind of people. Uh, you can get a, a false start. Um, but a, a person I really respected a year, years ago told me, you know, when there are problems, there's always an opportunity. So whenever there's a problem, something occurs, something pops up, you should stop, assess the situation, then say, what is the opportunity here? Because many times it'll end up being much better than you expected just because something got in the way. Uh, And then the third one, I guess I'll call my second success factor that if I have to choose the second one. So I started with my first, accept responsibility. And the last one, number 10, is giving back. Uh, You talked about intentional in the beginning. When I get involved in a relationship, I'm not going to say I'm perfect, but I am always trying to figure out how does it benefit both of us? But sometimes a person may need help and they're not going to have the ability to give back to you. And so you can do things for other people they can't do for you. And I think that's a good thing. And and, um, the hard part about that is that many people are calculated. They're waiting for the 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 reciprocal value coming from the other person. And I think you have to go into it saying, I'm going to help. I'm going to give first. No matter what happens, I'm not going to expect anything in return. It's a really hard thing to say. And, and even a harder thing to do sometimes. But if you can do that, just like Gary Kennedy was talking about, you know what, what's the difference I can make? I think you'll end up seeing that much will come back to you anyway, plenty more than you can probably even accept. But giving first amazingly allows you to be intentional, to have that reputation of someone that really cares first, is not greedy uh, upfront and, and has a great life because people flock to you. You'll, you'll develop more influence With that kind of strategy than you ever will by trying to pay people you know to help you become reputable
1: wow this is incredible and i know that was tough to take all you know all ten and they are all very very high level and they're all needed in order to accomplish that 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 strategic influential aspect however though now perspective uh you know accept personal responsibility as well as giving back so now my question is in each one of those What is the story that helped you identify that factor in your life that said, wow, this is a key, um, this is a key attribute in order to achieve that result? Uh,
0: So I I go back to the experiences I have. So at a very young age, I had the opportunity to serve um, as a a service missionary overseas. I was only 19 and uh, went to uh, live in Spain for two years. Gave, I gave up college and dating and everything else for two years so I could go and just serve. I, I 100% served every single day of my life for two years. Uh, I, was, I was living in Spain. I got there. It was a really tough thing because I'd never been outside of probably a 100 mile radius of where I grew up. And uh, so, you know, talk, it was the very first time I'd ever been on a plane. Most people would say they'd probably been on a plane since they were a kid, but, you know, I, back in the 70s, I'd never been on a plane before. And so I flew to Spain. Uh, culture shock, you know, the weather was different. The people spoke a language I didn't understand yet. I never took Spanish in high school. I did, There was an option for me to take um, science and electronics, which I, I preferred at the time, which, which I did. But I got there and, and I struggled because I didn't understand anything. The, the little bit of Spanish I'd been taught was Latino Spanish. Uh, European, you know, uh, Castilian Spanish is, is spoken so differently. And they use la theta. It's Barcelona and gracias instead of gracias. You know, it just sounds so much different. And so I struggled for the first uh, several months until I finally took personal responsibility for my experience. I was a very young guy. And I decided if I'm going to get through this, if I'm going to have a good experience, if I'm going to be fulfilled during these two years, which was a big commitment. Uh, I need to decide once and for all that I'm just going to jump into the culture and not look back. And the way I did that, is I one day uh, I came home and I said I'm not going to speak English anymore. And so for the next 18 months I've been there for, so I've been you know on this mission for six months, but for the next 18 months I never spoke English unless I ran into someone that didn't speak Spanish and only spoke English. And so I lived with Spanish families. Uh, I spoke Spanish 24 hours a day. It was it was really hard the first few months. It was uh, I didn't have the best vocabulary or I wasn't very fluent, very fluent. But uh, by the end of it. Uh, the, the true test of that was my parents came and picked me up. They wanted to come and see where I was working and meet the people I'd met. And uh, so uh, we were getting on a bus to go somewhere. My dad didn't want to drive in Europe. And I can understand that because they, they're, they're chaotically good drivers. They, they, they don't crash, but they somehow they get around each other. My dad saw it. He says, no, there's no way I'm going to try that. We were getting on the bus and I was in front of my parents and uh, there was a guy in front of me from Spain that was talking to me. We're just talking, just getting along and having a good social conversation. And at one point he asked me a question and my dad nudged me and he says, what did he ask you? I said, well, he wanted to know where I was from in Spain. I had dark hair. I could have been, I could have passed for a Spaniard. And I, and I very, I was very fluent in Spanish. And he said, oh my goodness. He says, you really lived the culture while you're here you are good enough that they, someone from Spain thinks you're from Spain and wants to know where you're from. So I thought that was a true test. That's where I really realized at the time that, man, I really did jump in. I really did accept the culture. I really did accept the personal responsibility to, be, to become the person I wanted to be there, and uh, it was a great
1: experience. And um, so what was the
0: second question? <laughs> Sorry, Christian. You asked me two things.
1: No, and, and obviously and I appreciate you kind of diving into that. I think that's just oh. incredible. But also, kind of where that came from, and how how did you come to that conclusion? And say, hey, these are the these are the big attributes, the factors that I'm going to put in this in this you know live by, but also put in this book.
0: So so back to the, to the give back. So you, you asked those two I chose, you know how I made a difference, and I can I could go through each one of these factors and, and probably tell you because it's an evolution for me. The reason I wanted the book to be an evolution is because that's how I learned all this step by step, you know, through my life. Uh, so giving back it goes right back to those roots of me being a missionary. Um, I, every day of my life, all I did is focus on helping other people. That's all I did, and I didn't uh, I didn't work for a paycheck. In fact, my parents had to support me while I was over there. So I didn't. No one paid me anything. And so you know, giving back from the very beginning when I had nothing to give, monetarily, but I had my time, I had my spirit, I had my energy. And, and uh, the attitude that every single person, I've, I got to the point where I, I would tell myself before I met someone, I just want this person to feel better about their day having met me than having not met me. If I could just bring some bright light into their life, make them feel like a good person, make them have a better day because of me, uh, I could care less if they learn anything from me. I just want to make you know uh, that kind of an impression. So that's, that's where the accepted responsibility and the very last one, which is giving back, uh, kind of uh, were the first and the last of things of everything I ever did. Everything else kind of filled in if you really want to know the truth uh, because then you have to get experience. You learn what influence is all about. You get to know people that have influence. They like you. They're willing to help you. They give their influence to you to help you get to higher levels. And it's reciprocal. And so it's, it's a great process. Um, everybody that's read my book, that's applied it, has told me, and, and it's from, I don't know, cultures around the world, because I've, I've got great readers all around, have told me that uh, the experience for them was great because it helped them understand and, and visualize the process. And what's great about my book is it allows you to be able to jump into it and say, which level am I at? What sphere of influence am I currently in? And, you, you know, some people are very experienced, some people are not. But I think it, I think it kind of approaches just about anybody that wants to get in, into this uh, this kind of strategy of, of developing a reputation and influence.
1: So let's say, for example, you actually have finally created that foundation of influence, right? Um, and I think sometimes the biggest the hardest part isn't really building it, it is more of sustaining that and making sure you're an integrist, making sure you have that character, making sure that you're, you're holistic in that influence, right? You're not, uh, because we definitely have seen where, hey, you know what, you tweet something, influence, there's not an ad, quote unquote, you know, hashtag, whatever. And there are certain ways of, you know, influencers have taken advantage Right. And then what happens, the credibility goes down, right, of their, of their audience. And you don't want to be in that situation. So, my question is once you establish it by this book and you f- create that foundation, how do you keep it? Well, there have been several
0: famous people, including Warren Buffett, that said that, you know, you can, it takes a whole lifetime sometimes to develop your influence. You can lose it in a minute. And we've seen that with, you know, with famous people who uh, cross the line. Uh, were immoral for some reason or became uh, uh, did something illegal and people find out about it and their reputation's in the toilet. So <clears throat> I think you have to continue to, to practice the principles. It's like anything, you know, in sports athletes, they know that you know you can, if you don't use it, you're going to lose it. If you don't practice it on a daily basis and, and uh, the, the basics of what it really means, you're, you're going to lose the, the advantage of what you do. Uh, I used to speak professionally. I did for four years or uh, four days a week, um, 46, 45, 46 weeks out of the year. And no matter how many times I spoke, I always took the time ahead of time for the same speech many times to prepare. Uh, I'll give you one another, another example. Uh, have you heard of the man named Zig Ziglar before? Oh, yeah. Okay. <laughs> so I've met Zig uh, when he was alive a few times. He he'd probably taught uh, a thousand of the salespeople, I, probably almost half of the people I've managed in my lifetime. Uh, amazing, you know, orator. And he so much energy, but everything about him was about experience, about storytelling. You, you just couldn't get enough of this guy. And I took his tapes and everywhere I used to go, you know, selling, I would listen to it all day long. I loved the guy. His son is uh, Tom Ziegler. Tom uh, took over the, the management of the business years before his father retired and then before he died, of course. And Tom um, told me a, a great story. I interviewed him. He's one, of, he's one of the interviews in my book, one of the latter interviews. <clears throat> I asked Tom, I said, Tell me about your dad. What was it like to live with a legend like your dad? And I, he's a legend in himself, but I mean, he knows his dad was special. And I said, What was it like to, to listen to him, to go to the events, you know, being his son? And he said, Well, Gary he says, I have to I- explain it this way. He had a really. Important sense about his responsibility and his mission to speak to people. It wasn't just a pain gig. He would go, if he had a, a, a gig where he was going to give the same speech, at least the same topic, and he was going to basically give the same words in that talk. <clears throat> Tom told me his dad would sometimes spend three days, not a couple of hours like I used to. Three days, you know, two or three days preparing for that exact uh, delivery, same topic, same words basically, but to a different audience. He knew he had to prepare for the people that were going to listen to him. And at the end of it, I thought it was really interesting. He said that he would ask himself, he didn't care about the applause, he didn't care about the accolades, he didn't care about the reviews. What he cared about is if, if God felt like he had represented him well during that time. He was not preaching Christianity or anything else his words were his own. His experiences were, were significant. But he wanted to know, because he believed in God, that was his representation, was his time there with those people, was it merited? Did he do the job he was supposed to do? And that was it. I said, wow, that is just amazing. And Tom has exemplified that same, uh, that same belief. And what I, what I really enjoyed about both of them Is you can listen to them; they sound like a book. I mean, they just—it just comes out. It flows because it's genuine. It comes from their heart. It's something they've taught so many times, and they can just speak, you know, without hesitation. So, I guess that would be my my answer to your question. But I think it's really important that you you get a sense of of, of what why you're doing what you're doing, and to do it uh, the right do it so that you feel you know good about why why you did it.
1: Yeah, and because see in in your recent. Post on LinkedIn. You you mentioned, of course, the intentionality, be authentic, give first, mix it up, inspire, and just kind of reiterate what we were talking about. Just kind of, you know, going from what you just said about like obviously just the the focus and being present and giving everything that you have at that one thing, and just being that focused energy. Uh, but also, it was just that influence. That's how you really optimize to the highest level of massive influence. And so, my question is is how does authenticity and influence kind of correspond, if you will.
0: Well, I, and I want to finish your, your first question because you asked me how do you sustain it? And so that that story I gave you about Zig Ziglar and Tom is how you sustain it. You have to continue on a daily basis to, to use those basics to apply them and to and have real purpose and intention in what you do. If you don't have purpose, if you don't know why you're doing what you're doing, you're going to fizzle out, you're not going to have the energy, you're not going to have the ability to sustain what you do. People will follow other people because they know you're authentic, because they know you're intentional, and because they like that you're talking about yourself in a way that that uh, is coming through as a human, just like they are. Um, so, you know, uh, first of all, thank you for reading my my uh, my posts and my newsletters. That's cool that you did that. Um, you know, authenticity is a, is a word everybody's using these days. And I'm not even sure a lot of people even understand what it really means. I mean, authenticity to me means that you are expressing the real you and some people don't know who they really are. And sometimes you have to ask people, you know, do you think I'm authentic and why Uh, do you think I'm genuine? Do you think my approach is really me? Am I, am I giving the portrayal that uh, something that you think exempt that, uh, uh, shares something about my life, who I really am. I think you have to really get a sense for that. The more authentic you are, the more you are, the, the more comfortable you are in your own skin. I think the better, uh, impact, the more influence you're going to have on people. They like authenticity. People like to be around people that are consistent, that have um, values that are completely, uh, you know, embedded in their lifestyle in their actions, in their, in their mannerism. So I think that's what I've, I've always been taught and what I've learned through my experience is that, um, you know, if you can somehow muster up the ability to communicate in a way that, that sh- sh- uh, shares who you really are, based upon the experiences you've had and teach from your own learnings, not just from somebody else, I think then
1: then you really have an impact. I love it. I love that insight. Because see, talking about like kind of the basis of, of influence, right, strategic, right, a lot of times we always think about, you know, obviously more business kind of structure. But I do think sometimes there's that holistic influential aspect as well, like a spiritual, relational, right? Do people come to you for spiritual questions? Do they come to you with relational questions? Or do they just come to you more of a business aspect, right? And so just from your perspective, what other categories um, should someone focus on that should be aware of, you know, cause we always want to work on our health. We want to work on our spiritual. We want to work on, you know, like there's certain things that we all have goals on in different categories of our life. And so that's kind of the same thing that you need to have with influence, right. And being very strategic in that and intentional. So I'd love to get your response and kind of what, what are some categories that most people should be focusing on that maybe say, Hey, you know, on a level one to 10 to be the highest, maybe I really suck at spiritual, maybe like a two, maybe that's <clears throat> something I need to be working on and be kind of focused on.
0: Wow. Good question. Um, Well, we all talk about having a well-balanced life, you know, quality of life. And uh, everybody thinks that uh, at least the way it's portrayed is that you have to have your your life and your day divided up into these little segments where you do everything perfectly. And I don't think it ever happens that way. (laughs) At least not for me. I don't know about you. Um, So here's a good example, uh, and I think this would help you because it's something I've been practicing for 35 years. I don't talk about it a lot. Sometimes I do. But Benjamin Franklin was an amazing example of a person that had vices, and he knew it, and he wanted to overcome them. And so he developed 13 characteristics uh, that he could utilize uh, on a weekly basis and he, used, he, ch- he chose 13 for the very reason that it fits into 52 very nicely. There's four, four repetitions of that 13 throughout the year. So imagine you come up with a list of 13, you sh- and it should be your own list. He had his list. You should have your own list. Here are the things I feel like I need to work at, I need to develop uh, myself uh, uh, towards. And uh, so he would work on one uh, of the 13 all week long. And so... He's not trying to be perfect, perfectly balanced all week on all 13. He's working on one item, one characteristic that he thinks he's deficient in or that he wants to maintain or sustain like you talked about, whether whether it be influence or whether it be arrogance or whatever you think you you might have a challenge with. And so all week long. And then the next week, number two. And then when you get to number 13, you start the whole thing all over again. You repeat that four times throughout the year. I thought it was a, mad, a marvelous uh, example of someone – that <clears throat> seemingly feel, uh, was a, a, a giant in terms of uh, in, intellect, um, you know, inspiration. He was, he was an inventor. The guy didn't stop. How did this guy do so much in his life? I think it's because he focused on those 13 things on a regular basis that kept him in check. So that I think that's my answer, but I think everybody has to have their own methodology. I think that's a good
1: one. I think that is a, a phenomenal approach <clears throat> because see a lot of times when I when I work with a lot of people it's like they always think that most high performers are the ones that have like their attention on 15 different things and the reality is like no they only focus on two things but for a very short period of time because all that energy and 100% of their input is going into that so instead of you know giving like 10 or 15% of input into that and and then of course that's why it's extended over a period of you know a longer period of time i mean how fast can you write a book if all your attention was hundred percent on that book instead of oh I got to take my kids here I got to run a business I got to do this right uh, I think I love that approach um, so kind of coming about you know obviously you've got a lot of experience in business structure you've you built businesses you've exit strategy you've you've been uh, C suite on a lot of this stuff um, with <clears> this <throat> okay how did you go about building your your influence and I guess my my question really isn't how it's more of like how long did it take you to build the influence that you have now, because sometimes I really want to emphasize you're not going to be an Instagram influencer overnight. You know, and and again, I I want to get away from that social media stuff because it is very archaic and and kind of just elementary, but that larger, bigger thing. And I want people to have the right perspective and how long it took you to establish the name that you have now, Gary. Uh,
0: So I'm 64, 64 years old. Didn't happen overnight. (laughs) Um, and le- by the way, I was one of the very first people to, to join LinkedIn back in the day. Reed Hoffman, one of the co- co-founders, sent me a letter thanking me for becoming one of the first uh, members. And but I never really took advantage of that social media leverage. I you know back then you could invite as many people as you wanted to, to connect with. Today they re- they restrict you to hundred a week. I've got six thousand subscribers and, or my excuse me uh, followers, and I could I could probably have I don't know. Hundred or 200,000 followers right now, if I had thought about that in in the perspective of just followers. The problem with followers is they don't know you. uh, They know of you. And they made a moment. They made a decision in a moment to follow you. And whether they even remember a week later, if they know who you are, that's that's a good question. So in my life, um, talk about influence. Again, it's a process for me. You need to be connecting with people on a regular basis. I've done that. Way of, it was easy for me in the beginning because I, I was this missionary in, in Spain, and I was meeting sometimes you know dozens of people every single day. Uh, when I came home, I, I got into school, and I had my regular activities within, in the college, but then I got into cells. Um, never thought I would want to get into cells because I thought it was kind of a, a stepping stone for a bigger career. Uh, but even when I got my MBA from Northwestern and I went into consulting, and I had an opportunity to become a, a, a you know a, um, executive in, in a consulting company, I realized that my forte and my what I really liked was connecting with people. I loved the fact that I could get out, I could make friends with people, I could help other people solve problems, and I loved helping acquire uh, clients that needed help. So that was I, I finally gave up about everything else and went right back to my roots, which I started when I was 19. If you will, so but the, there was a process. I think everyone on a regular basis should be connecting with people every day. The connection doesn't mean that you're going to have anything long term. It just means there's a possibility of it. So I think you look at things as a potential. I'm going to connect with you. You and I just met for the first time today, even though we've been corresponding a little bit. And you know, it, right, I can already tell from our conversation that you you and I have some amazing uh, uh, similarities as far as uh, philosophy and concept and. And, and approaches toward life. And so to me, I think there's a lot of potential for you and I to have that opportunity to become more of a partner versus just a connection. So you start with, with someone that's known to you. Then it turns into a connection where you say, okay, we'd like to be at least connected formally. Then you go to a point where, well, there's something special about our relationship. I think that we could actually do more than that. We, could, we Maybe we should be co-marketing each other. We should be you know, developing a strategy. Maybe we can bundle our services or products or whatever. Uh, and you get to some point where you're, wow, it's not just a connection. It's not just a following. It's not just a connection. It's not just a partnership. It's a trusted partnership. So it's taken me, <clears throat> uh, it probably took me you know, 15 years in my professional career to get to that understanding that things are, that are transactional are just that, they, they're a one-time thing, and, and then you have to repeat it over and over again. If you can tr- figure out how to turn it into a strategic relationship, a trusted relationship, then it has the merits and the ability of the possibility of reoccurring. And so I, I, I started becoming a, you know an executive with companies where, where reoccurring revenue was a big deal. Subscription models were a big deal. I was one with companies for the first time that were doing that kind of thing outside of like insurance that's been around for a long time. Talking about corporations that for the first time are selling services and products on a subscription basis. What's beautiful about that is it's strategic because you're going you're, you're to be involved with each other for a long time. Sometimes years and years, sometimes it's only months, but at least it's not just a one-time transactional occurrence. And I think that's about the time I met Stephen Covey uh, where he his concepts were so big and real uh, about uh, how you think of the future and then you go after it. You have to have a vision of it. It has to be win-win. I mean, all those things were, were, I think they were sensible to me. They were very easy to understand. And so I started applying them. Every time I taught one of my sales groups, I brought those principles into it. And over time, my those principles expanded until they got to the point where I had my own uh, take on those principles and I had added to them. And that's why my book is not called The Eight Habits of you know, highly successful people like Stephen Covey is that it's the 10 success factors of highly influential leaders. And so I, I think he would agree if he was alive today, that this is kind of a next, um, even better level, some, some way, in some ways of what he was trying to accomplish because it, now it takes it to a new realm. Uh, he talks about circles of influence. I talk about spheres of influence. The reason I like sphere better is it's three-dimensional. It has volume. Uh, when you're in a two-dimensional circle of influence, you can easily step out on in, in the inside of the relationship. It may not be strategic. It may not be long-term. A sphere says we're in, in this together. It's it's you know it's three-dimensional. And why would you ever want to get involved in a relationship or do a transaction where it's where it's only a one-time thing if you knew there could be a, a potential reoccurrence of that in a long-term opportunity? So that that's kind of kind of how I developed it. And I think the last uh, 20 years as I've stepped into entrepreneurship um, full-time, uh, I've learned that that's even more important because um, because I don't have a company I'm working for. No one is paying my paycheck. I have to rely on relationships uh, today to be able to be successful.
1: I love it. I love it. Such a powerful insight. And see, because one mm-hmm. of the things I think is very interesting is that there's a misconception sometimes, right? And definitely business owners, we always like to think about influence through, okay, quantity. And maybe it's not as about quantity as much as it is about and like you were just saying, in depth, seven, eight, 10 feet deep relationships, right? But it's quality, right? You may not have that huge amount, uh, 100,000 people, but it's, hey, you know what, I have 100 people and they, I know every single one of them. I know their stories. I know where they're going and uh, you can love on them and obviously, you know, really grow. Um, let me, I, I'd like to get your perspective on that. What, what do you think is your definition of influence and really to the optimal level in regarding to like, you know, relationships and, and, and business transformation?
0: Well, I mean, influence to me on a basic level is your ability to be, to make an impact. Uh, so, and, and I think it, for me, it's always the word, adding the word positive impact. You can have influence and it can, it can go the wrong direction. I mean, you can affect things, you can impact things. That's what's going on in Russia today. It's not very, you know, very supportive of what's going on. And, uh, and it's not impacting anyone positively. No one, not the soldiers on either side, not either country. I don't see what the, the positive uh, realm of all that is. So I think the impact has to have intentional positive impact. You have to know going into it that your commitment and the goal is that we're going to have a positive result and we're going to work towards that. And if we have to pivot and make changes. We're going to do it. We're going to be agile and we're going to make a difference. But that to me is, is super important. Now back to your um, idea about, uh, you know, having uh, 100 people versus 100,000, but you really have a lot of influence on each other in that 100, it, it, that's, that's even going on today. If you have people on LinkedIn, Facebook, uh, TikTok that have millions of users, in reality, they only have a handful of people they really rely on. So if you really bring it down to ground level, there's only a few people they surround themselves with. It's a very inner tight circle. And, uh, and But what I'm suggesting is that you can expand that to some degree. Uh, so, you know, some people may only have a few. I mean, Michael Jackson, and there's probably a few people that ever surrounded him on a daily basis. But the people I really admire that I, that I call centers of influence, and John Hewitt is one of those that's in my book. Uh, John Hewitt was the, he was an executive with uh, HR Block. He then founded the company called Jackson Hewitt, that sold thousands of uh, franchises in the tax preparation world. He left that, started another company called Liberty Tax, did the same thing over again, and he's doing it again. This guy is phenomenal. He's very, very focused on what he does. And when he goes somewhere, all he has to do is mention he's going to be there and hundreds of people show up because they feel like they have a relationship with him. Now, he may only say, I've got 20 people in my life. I really have that inner circle feel, you know, for relationships. But but he has created an environment and a reputation, and he makes himself available, And he's and he's – very likable that people just draw to him. He's the center of influence and they want to be associated with him because one, they, he makes them feel good. He makes them uh, feel like they have possibilities in their life and he can open doors for them. That they can open for themselves. So, I mean, again, I, I really think that even the people that have millions don't really have relationships and it's really, that's really what it boils down to. And if you don't have a relationship, it's really
1: not, it's not it's not the connection you thought it was. So powerful. So powerful. And I think that's a that's just a beautiful thing, a beautiful synopsis of what we discuss. And Gary, I just want to say, you know, thank you for being on our podcast, sharing the incredible wisdom of many, many years and and building all these factors. Instead of us having to go through life and hitting our head against the wall, you being able to really build that into 10 factors into this book here and, and really just simply lay it out for us, which is really awesome. Uh, Gary, how can they reach out? How can they uh, consume? And of course, uh, you know, get that book, my man. Uh, So thank you so much. Christian, thank you
0: for letting me come on the show. You've been amazing. Uh, It's very, very unique to be on a podcast with someone like you that can actually stop, assess, make contribution to the the podcast. Because a lot of them just ask questions and then you go to the next question really don't have that conversation that we had today. So thank you. It's it's been a pleasure of mine. So my book, uh, obviously you can go to Amazon, you can go to Barnes & Noble, it's it's available. Uh, Today I have it in uh, paperback ebook and uh, most recently in audiobook. I, had, I, I, w- I did auditions with uh, women and men. Uh, I have uh, chapters on men and chapters on women in here and I wanted to have a man's voice for the, the men's chapters and a woman's voice for the women's chapters and the two people I chose were fabulous. So I, I really recommend somebody wants to listen to my book, but that's the way to do it. Uh, the other way you can, you can do it is you can go if you'd like a signed copy of my book. Go to garyclaney.com or garylaney.com. That's G-A-R-Y-L-A-N-E-Y.com. And you click on the author page and there's a way to uh, choose to get a a signed copy. And I'd be happy to do that. Let me know what you'd like me to say, or I can just uh, be inspired and and say something back to you. But I I would love to interact with anybody. Um, There's also a way to connect with me there, contact me. And the last one is you can go to the, I have a book page or book uh, website called The Strategic uh, the excuse me, the power of strategic dot the power of strategic dot com. So
1: thank you. It's been an honor. Awesome guys. And those links will be in the description below. So make sure you go ahead and click on that. make sure you consume a lot of his content. Make sure you buy that, guys, because the biggest thing is that you never want to be one of those people that say, I wish I would have, right? You want to be one of those people that I'm glad I did, right? And the biggest thing is obviously, you know investing your time and energy into this book, and I'm an audiobook kind of person, so I would definitely consume that audiobook, which is really awesome uh, to fully develop that. Now, also, I always love to ask my guest. okay, is there any last words of wisdom that you like to share with our audience before we let you go?
0: Well, yeah. I mean, listen, there's, there, we talked about influence in this whole show, but we didn't talk about really how you acquire influence. You do not self-proclaim that you are an influencer. Some people want to. They want to pay money, put it out there and say, I'm an influencer. Uh, it is something bestowed upon you by other people. That's really the, the last word here. Don't ever assume that you are a leader with reputation or an influencer until you get others telling you that you are. And it's not for ego. It's because they know that they're getting something from it. You know that you're
1: giving to people and you're helping others do it. So I think that's my last word. Awesome. And guys, that is Gary Laney. Make sure you click on those links in the description below. And that is Journey with Christian Devon's podcast. Until next time, remember, be uncommon if you can. Are you an aspiring side hustler or online business owner that wants to create passive income, but you don't know where, you don't know how to start? Well, go to evansfamilysidehustle.com, schedule a 45-minute phone conference with myself, Christian Evans, or one of my sales coaches. Again, that's evansfamilysidehustle.com.